the law. Whether we like it or not, we have to adhere to it or people more powerful than us lock us up. And when it comes to corporate antitrust law, you might want to lock us up for not knowing anything. That's why we're pleased to welcome Tybalt Schreppel to the show to fill us in on all things blockchain antitrust law. Now, it doesn't sound very sexy, but it's actually a really interesting topic. And just in case you need additional reason to stick around, we are the sexiest podcasters talking to you right now. Antitrust. Can you trust it or are you just opposed to it? Let's find out on this Legal Beagle episode number 561 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's bad? Hello to all the people, I'm gonna sing a little song and it won't take long to welcome you to this show and I'm done. Uh. Very nice. Very pleasant. I mean, it's people really like it when you sing them songs to start the podcast. Happy little jingles to give you tingles in your ningles. <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> your you numbles in your jumbles what numbles in the jumbles there we go baby yeah baby wasn't that a jethro tall song numbles in the jumbles oh that was bungle in the jungle which is actually the same damn thing yeah you don't want to you don't want to tingle in your bungle i, I remember <laughs> not bungle well, you might you might i mean it's, it's totally I, I remember as a young boy first hearing bungle in the jungle on um probably am radio that's how old i am and not knowing you know what bungle in the jungle was about but then as a young adult realizing oh this is a song about sex and then hearing this song oh this is a song about sex oh this one's about sex too oh wait this one's about drugs and sex right yeah usually one or the other but i don't know if you can trust any of that i don't know i'm i am antitrust trust we're going to talk about that today. First, we got some new merch at nftshirts.co. Uh, thanks to our friend at the Bitcoin Wardrobe. You got to check out the stuff that he is adding to this. Not only do, do you find blockchain heroes and bad crypto podcast hoodies and t-shirts, but there are mouse pads, there are laptop sleeves, there are podcast mugs. There's a stay bad mug and uh, he's talking about adding a bunch more stuff there's socks you can get socks you can get a bad coin pin you can get bitcoin bro bro boxers <laughs> that is that and that is some fancy level stuff here actually he sent out he sent out a um, a stay bad shirt uh-huh and uh so i get <laughs> i gotta show you this joel <laughs> let's see it Nice. Is it super tight? Is it tight? Uh, it's on Jared. Jared yeah, it's on Jared. And he's drinking apple juice, but he totally looks like he's drunk. Uh, we're staying bad, <laughs> we gotta put that on the, We got to put that on the Twitter. So Look fun. at this. You can get a bad crypto podcast flag. You can get a, a bad crypto, a stay bad premium throw pillow. Like he is, there's a bad coin trucker cap for people with oh, big that heads. That's kind of cool. I like that. Like you. So go to nftshirts.co and check out all the Stay Bad merchandise and our, our bad crypto models. That Oh, uh, man, you can get a Stay Bad fanny pack? 
Yeah. Stay bad, fanny pack. Give your dog a bone. Yeah. Nice. NFTshirts.co. That's where you go to buy your stuff. All right. So, hey, by the way, if you uh, use this discount code, Cryptopia, you get 20% off. Mm, come on. Baddest merchandise out there. NFTshirts.co. Cryptopia. 20% off. Now, Trav, can you trust this interview or not? Uh, you probably can. But we are not trust advisors. No, we're not antitrust advisors, too. But our yeah. uh, our guest, Dr. Thibault Schrappel, which leads to many Frenchy French jokes, is here for you right now. And so we go to the interview. <laughs> oh, Travis Wright, are you feeling Frenchy French today? Uh, no, not really. You don't want some French fries? Uh, you know, I had some French fries yesterday for the meal, but I will have some. I would like to have some French toast for the breakfast. How about we have a French man here on the show? I don't really want a French man. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, too bad because we have one here with us, just the same. Uh, Dr. Tibor Schrappel is an associate professor of law at VU Amsterdam University, and he is all about. Blockchain antitrust law has actually written a manuscript and a book on the subject matter. We're going to make blockchain and antitrust easy to understand. Well, I'm not going to make it easy. He's going to make it easy to understand. Thibault, welcome to Bed Crypto. Yes, thank you very much. I'm, I'm not sure if I should talk with a, I mean, I do have a French accent, but maybe I could, you know, exaggerate that a bit. No, and, you, and... you should talk with your best English accent. Okay, like that? Accent. <laughs> Yes. All right, I'll try my best. Yeah, eliminate. dude, if you give us a California accent, bro, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that you're, I, uh, I do. you're a longtime listener, uh, first time caller, yeah? Yes, and that's why I'm excited and scared a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not scary. Travis is scary. I don't know that anybody's ever been on this show and been scared. This yeah. Well, been. yeah, see, that's the Frenchman. Yeah. Just we, what, what is scared in French? Uh, effrayé, peur, avoir peur. Yeah, effrayé. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, uh, no reason to be afraid. We're harmless and we're glad you're here. Thanks for coming on because you're going to help educate us. Because as you know, we are the blockchain blockheads and, and we're always learning. Uh, why don't you give us just a little bit more, fill in the your background a bit so people can understand who you are, or what you've done, where you've been, and uh, what kind of music you most prefer. Oh, yes. Um, it's hard not to start with the music. So my background is that I'm French. I live in France for a very long time. Uh, then I studied in New York a bit and then decided to do a PhD because why not? Um, and so I got a PhD in the field of antitrust, which we call competition law in Europe. Um, I was talking about the big tech companies and eventually I thought in the PhD, I would just put one or two chapters, not chapters, paragraphs, about blockchain, just to be able to say, you know what? I saw blockchain coming. <laughs> I knew it all along. Um, and so I wrote a few paragraphs in 2014. And then eventually I got stuck with the subjects. This, is, this was all I could think about. And so I've decided to work at the frontier between antitrust and blockchain. And I'm now a full-time academic teaching about blockchain to all of my students, trying to convert them you know, to, to work in the space. Um, and I'm obsessed with music also. Um, so favorite band, I would say Pavement with No Hesitation. Uh, but then the Fugazi, uh, Big Stars, the Velvets. Uh, 
So rock music, garage, garage rock music and punk um, are my things. You do not look punk at all. You look as you know, clean cut and mainstream as one could be. I know, but you know, this is the beauty of it. I could go to a punk show and you know, yeah, people won't ever know that I was there. <laughs> you should not identify him like this, Joe. You should just let him be himself. I am judging the book by the cover. Okay, you can do what you like. Um, so the blockchain antitrust paradox. Uh, that was a, a big article that you wrote. Collusion by blockchain and smart contracts. What? What is? Are, it, when I read that, collusion by blockchain and smart contracts. That seems like a negative on blockchain. What? What are you talking about on that? Sure. Um, you know. So this this was the paradox, indeed. For my personal paradox, which is that as a lawyer, so you haven't been to law school, but let me tell you what's happening if you go to law school. People will teach you how to deal with bad situations, right? You will never study what you should do as a lawyer if everything goes according to the plan. And so my natural tendency was to say, I'm going to take blockchain because I feel that this is interesting. And then I'm going to study what could go wrong with blockchain and see what I could do there. Um, but eventually it became kind of a paradox because I realized, well, I do believe that this could improve the common good. Um, and so instead of just writing about, you know, how we could use blockchain to destroy everything and all that, uh, I want to give the, bit, the big picture of it, which is that this is a very helpful technology. And so this is the subject of the book, which was to take some of the stuff that I wrote in the past, explaining how, yes, it's not always perfect. And to say, but even though blockchain, generally speaking, is a very helpful technology. So when the lawyer is going to tackle the issues, they should do it in a way to preserve the technology, which is not something that lawyers usually think about. They just think about applying the law and that's it. And I'm arguing in the book that we should do it in a way to preserve the tech. So this is a long shot when it comes to, you know, trying to convince the lawyers, hopefully easier to convince the, the blockchain people, uh, but we'll see. Let's take a step back with the, this legal terminology because antitrust, you know, on the surface, sounds like one thing, right? We're against trust. That's not what it means though. So maybe give us a, a basic definition for somebody who's heard the term, but doesn't know how this applies um, in any kind of you know area of the financial world, business sure. world. Yes, and, and so this is where it, it becomes fascinating to me, but I realized this is weird, but so antitrust or antitrust, some people use the hyphen in between anti and trust, but it's here trust in the sense of the trustees, which are the big corporation. Uh, and indeed, antitrust in the US comes from the Sherman Act, which is very old, uh, 18th, sorry, 19th century. Um, and the idea was to create some rules against the, the abuse of power by the big companies at the time, including Standard Oil and, and the big oil companies. And so antitrust is about anti-big companies, although... In practice, it is about being anti-abuses by those big companies. But where it becomes fascinating is that it may be now seen in a sense as trust in the sense of I trust you, you know, because you are a great person. Because indeed, if you can increase trust using blockchain in a way that is not always good, then anti-trust will then become, you know, anti-this bad trust. Uh, but to be very concrete, um, antitrust is being uh, used. So there are two agencies in the US, the FTC and the DOJ. 
and they enforce antitrust when companies come together and collude. So it could be that they decide to apply the same prices or to divide the markets. Uh, so this is one type of practice. And another one is when a company is too powerful on the market and may abuse that power. And so that's where why we have discussion by the big tech companies, uh, you know, the Google and Facebooks of this world, and, and try to see if sometimes they uh, got to where they are, not because they provide us with great services and products, but because they were abusing the power that they had all along. So this, this is what we have in the field of antitrust. And the same is true in Europe. It's just a different name, competition law, but it's the exact same logic. It is, it is fascinating to me because I look at this and I say, you know, blockchain in the hands of, you know, people who have the, uh, the idea around decentralization, I think is phenomenal. But I can also see where blockchains in the hands of the powers that be could almost become shackles if not, if not protected, right? If we're not careful around this, because I saw that the, uh, the EU uh, was, was talking about creating a, uh, you know, COVID pass uh, on blockchain, right? And trying to utilize these things because, uh, hey, it's on the blockchain. It's true. Now you must, you, go, you must show us your papers, right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of um, authoritarian where we're heading. And so how do we protect ourselves from, you know, from that scenario where the, the old guard starts using blockchain against us? Yeah, so, um, so first of all, full disclosure, I recently wrote a report for the European Commission on, on smart contracts. And what I can tell you, and I was very pleased by that, but it could have been the exact opposite. But I was pleased because they really wanted to ensure decentralization in the space. So they were kind of, you know, in favor of public permissionless blockchains and not going, you know, big time for the, the private blockchains and designing something on their own. But it could have been the opposite. And this is something that we see uh, in the space. So here, I would like to make a distinction between, you know, someone within the blockchain ecosystem becoming too powerful. So it could be an exchange or it could be, you know, a mining pool or whatever. And someone in the outside world, whatever that is, using blockchain to actually, you know, increase their power. Um, and there, um, this, this is a big question we need to answer. I, th I think the relationship between big tech and blockchain is fascinating when you see that, you know, you cannot advertise your blockchain or crypto service uh, freely using the big tech services. I think there is an issue here, but this is what I argue in the book, which is that, of course, I understand if you think about the law, not being a lawyer, you think, oh, it's about sanctions and courts and, you know, people are going to jail, but it could also be that the law is protecting you. And I think this is what blockchain communities should understand, which is the very basic of what antitrust is, so that when they are being abused by the big tech companies or people within the ecosystem, they could say, wait a minute, what you are doing is trying to re-centralize blockchain. Antitrust can help in protecting me from that. And therefore, I'm going to use the law in favor of decentralization, which is also one of the main message of the book. Do you have uh, other examples of perhaps some um, egregious violations of this where, you know, the government has gone after companies for antitrust matters on blockchain? On blockchain. Yeah. So yeah. as we speak, there is no public action by governments uh, to, to try to enforce antitrust in the blockchain sphere. I know it's coming. 
talking with uh, quite a few governments, th there are some ongoing actions. What we've seen so far are private actions. So one blockchain party versus another one, uh, a famous one which happened in the US. I mean, there are two cases which are a bit different. One was the case of a blockchain developer, and I forgot his name, who got kicked out of the Bitcoin uh, talk uh, org forum uh, for not respecting the rules of the forum. And he basically argued that this was a way for the Bitcoin Foundation and the, the people running the forum to protect Bitcoin, because otherwise he would have access to the great developers and it would have been possible for him to compete with Bitcoin. And with that access to the forum, he argued that this was impossible for him to develop a great cryptocurrency. Of course, this, you know, the courts rejected the claim, but this, this was the very first case. Another one which was a bit more serious was a case regarding the Bitcoin ABC uh, blockchain, in which they basically decided to fork the blockchain you know, for the reasons that we know, uh, uh, because some wanted to have uh, uh, more transactions per block because of scalability and blah, 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 all the issues. And the original faction of this blockchain argued, well, this is a violation of antitrust. What you've been doing is forking the blockchain, therefore dividing the block, the original value of the blockchain. And this infringes antitrust. This is a conspiration, a collusion. This was also rejected, but this is where I got scared. Because I thought, if the judge in that case, and you could see the judge was misspelling or the clerks maybe, the, you know, the, the, the names of the blockchain, so the understanding wasn't really high. But I thought, what if the court says that not only they are right, but on top of that, all forks should be prohibited within the blockchain ecosystem. This could have been a possible outcome, and this would have been a disaster for the blockchain ecosystem. So I think this is also where lawyers should try to understand just a tiny bit what blockchain is all about uh, and, and try again not to destroy the technology when we apply the law. And this case would have been a fantastic example, but, but fortunately, this is not what happened. And they just rejected the claim and, and said, well, forks are good and please go ahead. Uh, but those are two very concrete examples of what happens. And again, uh, you know, I see that as being very exponential. We had zero cases versus big tech companies 10 years ago except for one versus Microsoft. And, and now it's all we talk about. And I think the same is coming for the blockchain ecosystem. So it, it, it looks like there's, there's not been a whole lot of, you know, uh, scholarly legal type writing on, on this topic yet. So this, this is one of the first books really that's, isn't it kind of set up to, to educate, you know, the attorneys uh, in all areas of the world about blockchain? Because I, I mean, I, we've talked to a lot of attorneys and there's not many that really fully understand the, the implications of the space. Yeah. So, so again, where, you know, I know it's very easy to be pessimistic and, and a skeptic and it's very cool, but where I am a, a positive is that the antitrust division, which is part of the Department of, Just, of Justice in the US, uh, two years ago sent their employees to a grade school, I won't name it, but a grade school in the US for them to learn about the technical aspects of blockchain. And I thought this is exactly what we need. Of course, you don't want lawyers to be able to code their own blockchain from, from scratch. This is not the goal, but they should understand just enough so that they apply the law in a certain way. Um, and this is what I try to do in the book as well. So I do dedicate a chapter explaining to the blockchain people what is antitrust and how it could help. I do also explain blockchain you know, from a kind of technical angle without being too technical, hopefully, 
to the antitrust people. Uh, but indeed, I, I, I mean, it is the first book in, in the space. And, you know, it, it has been a, a funny journey to try to find uh, to find a great editor. And I'm very happy with the editor, especially because they, uh, they agreed to put the book open access for the digital version, which, which was great for me. Uh, but most editor would say, if there is no book on the subject, then why should we be the first? And if there is no case, then why should you write about, about what's happening? And which brings me back to what I was explaining. I want to set up the scene so that when we're going to start applying the law, and especially antitrust, we do it the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is the reason why I wrote the book. And, and we'll see how, you know, what will be the reaction out there. And I'm very curious about that, of course. There's a, a link to the book uh, in the show notes that you guys can check out for this episode, Blockchain and Antitrust, the Decentralization Formula. So as you're looking ahead, of course, you know, um, I don't expect anybody to have a perfect vision in their crystal ball, but where do you think the first cases are going to happen? Who are they going to go after? Sure. So, you know, um, I was teaching, I'm, I'm teaching the subject for quite some years now to, to some of my students in the Netherlands. And I was trying my best to come up with a prediction. And of course it's hard, especially when it's about the future, but I can tell you that I was wrong already <laughs> because I thought the first cases will be about a, powerful company, not powerful within the blockchain ecosystem, but powerful, you know, in the outside world, using blockchain in a way to abuse that power. And the first cases, such as, as I described already, are cases regarding the technicalities of blockchain, you know, something within the ecosystem of blockchain. I was not expecting that at all, uh, but those are private cases. And I do think still, but more than happy to be proven wrong, but that's the first government and, and public cases will be not about the actual ecosystem and the mining powers or the core developers. I do think it will be about non-blockchain companies and, and people using it in a way to abuse their power. You know, I could see very easily that a company would say, well, if you want to buy a product from me, you also need to get access to my private blockchain, right? And there will be a pay for that. Um, or where companies would say, and here this is more within the ecosystem, I do have a private blockchain. If you want to enter the private blockchain, that is the price and you cannot enter the private blockchain. So this could be discrimination, which is also prohibited. But I do think that this kind of, you know, cases regarding abuse of power will be the very first. Um, but again, I was wrong the first time and I might be wrong this time around. Who knows? Mm. So, so what are your thoughts as being an attorney and, and talking about you know, blockchain and crypto, you know, some of the, the legalities or the illegalities of some governments, you know, banning crypto, right? Or <clears throat> not allowing not allowing uh, their citizens to invest in it because they want to protect them. And then they end up losing out on all these sick gains, right? It's like, it's like, for one, I know you're in France, but <clears throat> in America, sometimes these sales will go on. And it's like, it's available for everybody in the world except North Korea, Iran, and the United States of America. Like it's and Travis and Joel, mind. those guys, they cannot get anything. Yeah, except sometimes we do. Yeah. Um, so, so this is also because, of course, when and so the, again, the, the the subject of the book is antitrust communities and blockchain communities should cooperate. And of course, everyone is in favor of cooperation, right? I mean, by default, this sounds nice. And yes, everyone should be friends. But 
No, I'm not worried. anymore. This is 2021, Kibo. Uh, no, yeah, indeed. And now it's you have a different and- political opinion than me. I we hate you by automatic. <laughs> it's set up now. We don't like anybody that uh, thinks differently. I'm going to be canceled live. Um, True, we're going to cancel you right now. End of up. Stay bad. <laughs> <laughs> but so you know what? What I'm, what I'm, what I fear is that when it's going to come the time to implement real cooperation, this is going to be tricky. And a very and and this is where politics come in, into play. Although we talk about the law, which sounds you know to be very neutral, but this is not the case at all. And to be very concrete, when and again, I'm not in favor of that, but I'm not arguing here about the substance. But when Facebook announced Libra at the time and now DM, regardless of what you may think, for the very first time, at least to the best of my knowledge, the European Commission said, "I'm going to investigate a product that does not exist yet." And I wrote a paper on that. I think there are lots of antitrust issues with DM. I'm more than happy to explore that if you want. But regardless of the issues, I think this is telling us something very important, which is that blockchain is fine until it actually competes with the state and the state powers. And this is where I am not so positive about the future, because I think that eventually, if you do want to apply the law, you need to rely on the state. This is the way we've been doing it. And we could change that, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. And this is where I fear that the state and big institutions will use their power, not always in the in the, the interest of the people, but sometimes to protect their own interest, which has been called regulatory capture. But you know, some somehow, um, what we discuss a lot in the academy community is how the big companies can capture the policymakers, and this is a risk. But we very uh, not not that often, uh, or to say almost never, discuss how government can capture themselves to protect government interest. And this is also why I wanted to publish the book right now. So to put the things on the table and to say, we are watching what the governments are doing. And if you try to protect yourself from blockchain competition, we will be watching you. Then I'm not sure what we can do, but I can tell you I'll be writing papers <laughs> at the very least on the subject and make make sure that it goes uh, all over the news. Who's going to win at the end of the day? Is the decentralized nature of blockchain and Bitcoin and everything around it empower people enough to basically push back against the governments that are going to take a more authoritarian approach? Or will the heavy handedness of Big Brother end up putting blockchain in a box with all the currencies ending up centralized? Yeah. So, again, you're asking me about predictions. Uh, sure. Just yeah. your opinion. I mean, we don't, nobody's holding you to, uh, of course, you know, anything here. And again, I don't, I don't mind leaving, you know, to, to be proven wrong. But so, two, two things. Um, the first is that I think it's uh, almost an issue of psychology. I think the, the China example of banning Bitcoin is a very good example. Um, if you want to use Bitcoin in China, it is possible, technically possible for you to do that, even though you know the Chinese government is saying this is prohibited. But do, I mean, I mean, I don't have any numbers yet, but I'm, I'm curious, I'll be curious to see if people are doing it actually. Although it is technically possible, they may fear the government and therefore stop using Bitcoin. And, and of course we know why, because the Chinese government wants to have their their currency on top of a blockchain. So this is about how people feel you know, comfortable with the law. And here we have lots of studies. We have studies showing that people are overconfident. So when they do something, they never think they could get caught. And so 
if that is true, then they will use Bitcoin in China. But we also know that people tend to, you know, overestimate damages. And therefore, if that is what hap- what's happening, then they won't use Bitcoin in China. So that is one thing. Um, and the second one is that some people in the space a few years ago argued that uh, public permissionless blockchains such as Bitcoin and Ethereum and the others will go away because it wasn't efficient enough and that the private blockchain will take, will take over. Uh, I'm not sure. And I actually think the exact opposite. I think private blockchains are too close to centralized systems. And therefore, I am not sure if they allow the people to, to do things in a way which is that different from you know, using just a company or a centralized system. And so if you follow Darwin, you will know that what you need is to have elements of differentiation. And I think private blockchain is not differentiated enough from the big tech companies, for instance. And so for that reason, I think, yes, there will be room for decentralized blockchain. And if you try to modify the blockchain for scalability issues, I think there is a great risk of re-centralizing the blockchain, which will cause the, the death of that particular blockchain. Again, just a prediction, but I see a world where decentralized blockchain, truly decentralized blockchain is, is here to stay. Um, this is where it's hard for me to know if it's just you know my personal desire or my uh, more neutral point of view, but this, this is my answer. <laughs> I love it. So blockchain and you're in law, what are your thoughts on non-fungible tokens, these NFTs that are going crazy? What, what, uh, what do you think about these things? Yeah, so you know, it, I love it. So that's the first, that's the disclosure. Um, I do <laughs> intend on, on putting the book cover. Yeah, you talk about judging me by the cover. Uh, and I wanted to mention the cover of the book because I actually commissioned an a artist from New York uh, who's doing lots of cool design to, to do the cover for the book. Um, and, and, my, and, and I will put the book cover on you know, whatever the platform, but uh, it will become an NFT eventually. So I am biased, but I love it for two reasons. First, I, uh, intellectual property scholars have no idea what it means. Uh, if you transfer the the IP rights, the intellectual property rights, if not, what can you do? Can you abuse the NFT? Can you destroy it? It's a total mess, which is what I prefer as a lawyer, you know, to explore something where there are no rules rather than right. try to understand all of the rules and come up with a solution within what exists already. Um, and I think it's fascinating because it might be how blockchain will eventually compete with the big tech companies because it actually provides people with value and it aligns the creation of things with what you could capture as the value, you know, of the things you've been creating. And this is where it's interesting. And and I don't want to be very technical, but there is something we know will actually protect the big tech companies, which is called the network effect, which is that you want to join a service, let's say a social media, only if there are already people using it. Because if you are the only user on the social media, I mean, what would you join? And that is protecting the big tech companies because they enjoy that network effect. They have billions of users and it's really hard to compete versus those companies. But if you you put NFTs into the picture, you can actually say to the people, well, yes, if you join that social media, you have only just a few users. So you cannot derive value from the actual use, but you can derive financial value if you can actually you know, sell some NFTs related to the actual social media. So... I do see that as being very important and more than just people, you know, selling CryptoPunks. Although if anyone wants to 
offer me a CryptoPunk, I'll be more than happy. But I, I think this is more important that, than what it looks like. Uh, yeah. We have no CryptoPunks for you, good sir. Ah, uh, it's too bad. Sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, so if I may, and I have no intention of talking about that, but uh, uh, a professor of law actually from Australia has a project called Crypto Laureates, and he's actually making CryptoPunk version of Nobel, <clears throat> Nobel Prize winner. Uh, and I think it's very cool. So um, again, I have no financial tie to this person, but you should check it out. It's very cool and way cheaper than a CryptoPunk. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this when you were telling the story. I was like, it's like, because I remember the process, because uh, I've, I've written one book, Joel's written 15 books, but I know there's a process of my one book. I was like, I went through like eight different iterations of the the cover of the book. And then I put four at a time on Facebook and I got people to vote on them, which ones they like. How cool could it be to be like, all right, here are here are these different NFTs of my covers. Whichever one sells the most will be the yeah. one that becomes the cover of the book. And then ironically, the ones that sell the least would be the most valuable NFTs because those would be the most rare. Yeah. And let me ask you a question, if I may. Did you choose the one for which people voted for? Or did you choose another one eventually? Yeah, it, it ended up becoming a hybrid of them because there was a couple of things that I liked on that. And then I mashed it up and I kind of mashed. I, I got some graphic skills myself. There's actually my book right there. You can see it right there. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I added the colors and did some things that I, that I like to make it stand out. But yeah, so uh, it was like a hybrid. You could see oh. my book, but nope, it's not there. I don't have it. <laughs> they're, they're in storage in, uh, in Florida. I didn't bring any of my books with me. But well, too bad. And for everyone listening to us, this is a beautiful cover. <laughs> it is a very nice cover. Well, Thibault, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights with us. We encourage you guys to go to the show notes and click on links. Go follow him on the socials and go check out the book on blockchain and antitrust. And hopefully after this interview, Thibault, you'll uh, keep listening to uh, to the show. I will. This wasn't, I mean, this, this was scary, but... Thank you so much. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. Croissant, baguette, pamplemousse, the Louvre. Pamplemousse? What is this? Uh, pamplemousse? I think it's like grapefruit. Okay. Yeah. Nice. It's a French word for the grapefruit is the pamplemousse. Dr. Thibault Chappelle, which I like to call him Tiny Thibault. <laughs> go check out his book. Yeah, you guys go, go check out his book on this. Um, he has all kinds of articles, which you can find in the show notes for this episode, badco.in forward slash five, six, one is the, uh, the place for it to happen. Uh, Sir Lord Travis last night was an exciting night. We, uh, we had our, our first, um, Palmas Del Mar NFT meetup and NFT up. Oh, that's what okay. we should call it. Right. An NFT up. Yeah. It's an NFT up. That was fun. Well, we met at the NFT uh, the time is what it should be. <laughs> NFT time. It's NFT time. We're here with the teas and we're drinking this. It's talking about the NFT table. things with the teas. And if you brought some of your ganja, it would be high NFT time. High. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun, man. So you um, you and John Lee Dumas uh, had set up a deal and had a bunch of people come out over to John Lee Dumas' house and uh, talked about the NFTs. What was it, about 20? Yeah, I'd say there's about 20 people there and uh, got to share our NFT journey and a little bit of John's and, and people are very excited. Um, th things are rocking and rolling here on the island of 
Puerto Rico and uh, the NFT community and the crypto community in general is just uh, going ba-boom. In fact, uh, we're speaking in an event um, in San Juan in December, right? Oh, yeah, I believe so. Is it is it crypto? It's is co- it coin, the- coin Agenda. It's, uh, oh, my, Coin Agenda my, has this deal, yeah. Yeah, it's it's Michael Turpin's um, thing. We're going to be doing. I don't know what we're doing. We're on a panel, or we're moderating, or we're moder paneling, or, or we're repaneling the the ballroom or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be there for that. We'll have more details for those of you that are on the island that want to come to the event and hang out with us. But uh, Travis and my son Zach are off to NFT NYC here in just a few days. Yes. Right after Halloween, you're going, right? Actually, I'm going on Halloween is when I'm heading out there. And, um, yeah, there's going to be a big conference there, 5,000 plus. I was going to be in attendance at this thing. I remember last year there was only about – there was less than 500 people at NFT. Yeah. It's going to be huge. In like January or February of 2020. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be big. I think that uh, they're taking over Times Square and, and putting up over $500,000 worth of ads on the billboards there and NFTs and stuff, taking it over. Um, I heard, so that's pretty crazy. And so there's going to be a lot of other people flying in who aren't going to the event just because there's so many side events, like all these different crypto projects out there that had different, um, you know, that have launches, then they're, then they're having little side parties and stuff. And so there's a lot, a lot of opportunities there. A lot of people are going to be launching new projects and a lot of interesting people to talk with. So you're going to have fun. I am intentionally not going. Uh, you're going to be speaking and doing a keynote and you're going to be emceeing and you're going to be networking like crazy. Um, I know Zach's going to have an amazing time sharing Draco dice with uh, with these gaming and NFT enthusiasts there. And I'm going to hold down the fort right here in Puerto Rico because, damn it, somebody needs to go to the pool and to the, uh, the beach. Uh, so I am going to take the bullet for that and mm-hmm. and I, I got it covered okay you're good really don't give it a second thought i know I your phone one a little bit because it's zach's first conference and you're kind of like oh man it would be cool to go so that there is that part but honestly if i wanted to go i would buy a ticket and i would go and uh, and true. i'm not so i don't so um anyway so you scared. guys make sure that um you know if you're going to new york city for nft nyc that you encounter sir lord travis there and yes. get a free nft because he's going to, uh, what are you going to, did you decide what you're going to, are you going to make a little something, something? Uh, no, we're going to, we're going to drop some NFTs randomly from what we have in our um, collection. Oh, you've got like, um, you got a form, right? You're going yeah, to send them to the form and, the, and people will fill out the form when they meet you. And then we're going to give them mm-hmm. some goodies. Yeah. We're going to drop some random goodies nice. uh, out of the goodie sack. So I can probably spend some time and send out there and send out everyone just, Here's a new address and just drop something out of the out of the wallet and yeah. see what they get and they get some different blockchain heroes things and some other cool stuff. But yeah, if you're coming Tuesday at after lunch, I am the after lunch keynote and I am then remaining on the collectible stage for discussions and being the MC. Perfect. Yeah. You guys will be privileged to uh, to hear Travis speak. I'm sure it'll be great. It will be interesting and it will be humorous. Uh, as well. And if you get a chance to uh, run into my son, Zach, he might be in Travis's shadow a little bit there meeting people. So uh, make sure you say hi to him and, um, and and tell him when you see him to say hi to your dad when, you know, when you talk to him next time, then he'll relay your message to me. Yeah. Tell him like, oh, my God, I love you way more than Travis on the Nifty Show. Just tell him that. <laughs> that would make him happy. It is a different vibe. There, there's no question. 
Um, there's fewer fart jokes. Right. Yeah. There's less corn. Well, he's, he's a little bit more serious. The Nifty Show, serious. now with less corn. Now with less corn. Now with less corniness. But bad crypto makes up for it because uh, I don't think we've mentioned corn. Have you had any corn lately? Do you know? Might have had some last night. Do you have some elote? No, I had uh, I had um, did not have elote. I've not had corn in a while. I have some corn in the freezer refrigerator. Yeah, at this uh, this NFT meetup we had, we were uh, pleased to meet a, an extremely enthusiastic NFT fan, uh, Renee, who mm-hmm. owns Chihuahuas, which is the the Mexican restaurant here in the uh, the plaza. Um, and he, after the meetup, he's like, "Come come to my place." You know, come, I buy you a drink. You can have something to eat. And so we did. And boy, that dude is hype on NFTs. He def- even, never even had cryptos, never collected anything in his life before, but then saw the NFT stuff on this and got super stoked. Gary, he got turned down by Gary V and he bought V friends. And now he is like, you know, the restaurant. He's like, yeah, this is great. It's my family and, and all that. But nfts are, have become his life it's a 50 year old dude like he's like i'm i'm all in i agree i agree it was fun to see somebody be so excited about it that hadn't really heard about it and and uh it was like and you guys are on the island what this is crazy like it, yeah. it was it was fun and good food too i like knowing oh, i just restaurants. had that i had that leftovers for lunch it was awesome oh, very nice well if you guys have leftovers you have our permission to go eat them and we'll catch you on the next episode please make sure you subscribe review ring the bell um, call us email us uh, send us chocolate whatever you want most important remember to stay bad Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Just importantly to remember, we are the sexiest podcasters in the world. Well, in this room. You can trust us. You can trust it, us. Right right here in this in this two square. Uh, it, we are the sexiest podcasters on two square foot of land in Scotland. that's true all right there you go there's your easter egg aaron after my stay bad i'm gonna stop this one